branches. What we do for prep work, off-season work, come to find out we both use a pre-orbital gland lure from Smokey yeah. McNicholas. Yeah. Out in West Virginia. Yeah. We use them at our hunting spots up here in Northern Bay County. We use them out in Iowa, Missouri, where we bow on. Yeah. And the stuff is like liquid gold. Oh, it is, ain't it, though? It's funny, because what you how you introduced yourself into this with the licking branches and this lure and scent and Smokey McNicholas and geez, if our wives, I mean, they know us, but if they, they would think we're talking about some porn show or something. <laughs> Thank you for joining Wild Game Dynasty's podcast this week with host Gary Morgan. Before I hand the mic over to Gary, please be sure you subscribe to our podcast, which can be found on nine different networks. Thank you, Melissa, for that introduction. Really appreciate it. Hey, folks, this is episode number 64. Yep. We're moving forward with our momentum, despite any little hiccups that uh, our great state of Michigan, our country, or even globally, we're having a, a couple hiccups here, we'll call it. And I don't want to just call it a hiccup. It almost sounds like I'm kind of poo-pooing it. We have some uh, uh, some big situations. Uh, but hey, because we're resilient people in the United States of America, and particularly, uh, I want to say, in, in the great state of Michigan, uh, we can fight through some things and continue on, not so much just business as usual, but uh, we're going to continue our, our focus driving forward um, as we have to continue to live our lives. And this week, I had an opportunity to meet with a couple of guys on a podcast with an open mic type situation. And with this, uh, we'll say the COVID thing, we had to uh, put together some some information that we're all on the same page on this thing, so we would uh, we'd understand, appreciate, and respect each other's situation on that. And we did that, and we pulled it off. It worked out very, very well. And we worked with uh, a couple of guys that maybe a lot of you are aware of. And when you hear their names on the podcast, you're going to say, well, that was an easy thing to set up with those guys. Those guys are uh, smart guys. Uh, maybe one of them might even call himself a smart ass, but uh, we'll let you figure out which one. Maybe that's me. Who knows? But hey, Without further ado, let's roll right into podcast episode number 64, folks. Folks, here we are in Hampton Township, Michigan. For those of you that maybe are unsure of where Hampton Township Hampton Township is just east of Bay City. Of course, that's that mid-Michigan area. And a lot of us know that uh, that, you know, on the shores of Saginaw Bay. But today we're not talking about world-class fishing opportunities for the uh, for the marble eyes. We're here to talk about hunt. Talked to a couple of guys. Actually, I talked to one guy. Uh, name is Steve Asel. And Steve and I found out we had so much in common, and then we got to talking about, uh, or we mean mouth a friend of his, Dale Gettle. Maybe Dale got so, uh, his ears were ringing, and he invited us over, and here we are today in Dale Gettle's house, and we're down in his basement, in his man cave, and what I am most interested in listening to these guys is share what makes them tick on the whitetail hunting side, what kind of things that they do to prepare themselves, their properties, their hunting spots, everything. Person that, uh, picks up their gun and goes up north for five days and comes back and that's the end of it, uh, I think you're still going to pick up a gold nugget out of this conversation. So, hey, without further ado, let's roll right into our conversation with Steve Asel and Dale Gettle. They've already flipped a coin, decided who gets to go first. Steve, I think you either drew the short straw. <laughs> so, you and I talked. Yeah. You remember what, what we were chit-chatting about? This we might have been were... several years ago, but recently. We were chit-chatting about all licking branches, what we do for prep work, off-season work. Come to find out, we both use a pre-orbital gland lure from Smokey yeah. McNicholas Yeah. out in West Virginia. Yeah. Bounce some ideas off you, some stuff that sounds like you're going to try with, with grapevines, wild vines. Oh, absolutely. We use them at our hunting spots up here in Northern Bay County. We use them out in Iowa, Missouri, where we bow on yeah. And the stuff is like liquid gold. Oh, it is, ain't it, though? It's funny because you, how you introduced yourself into this with the licking branches and this lure and scent and smoky McNicholas. And, geez, if our wives, I mean, they know us, but if they, they would think we're talking about some porn show or something. <laughs> but, but it kind of is. It just has to do with oh, the white-tailed deer, oh, yeah. right? Oh, so, yeah. And uh, so maybe I'll tell my wife I've got that part figured out, but in our own house, I, I got darn near a D minus. <laughs> but uh, hey, we'll keep this a family show. Who's your comrade? I already know who it is, but for this our listeners. Is, uh, this is Dale Gettle, guy that I would say if you if you want to ask a question or bounce an idea off, have a guy give you guidance in, in hunting in the whitetail world or 
all animals huntable. This is a guy that you would like to talk to. Has some serious, serious knowledge. You look at the animals he's killed. He's an unbelievable friend, an unbelievable guy. You know what, Steve? I've heard you say this before, so you're not making it up because we're sitting in front of Dale Gattle. And we're down in the man cave of his place <laughs> looking at all of his mounts on the wall and even on the floor. Because I'm thinking, man, whoever is taxidermist says they made a lot of money. <laughs> but, you know what, that's the way it works, though, is, you know, you, you put all your passion, all your efforts in every one of those mounts on a plaque or the full mount or the shoulder mount of a white tail or over my right shoulder, a grizzly bear out in the garage, a moose. But, you know, you say, well, why would you put your mounts out in the garage? I'm here to tell you, folks, if he pulls his vehicles out of the garage, I think we could probably eat off the floor, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. And if you're going to pull your vehicle in, why not be looking at three elk, a caribou, and a moose? <laughs> Dale, you need to introduce yourself to us because... Uh, well, I appreciate the nice comments from Steve here. And of course, he's gotten to be a great friend. He has some property located <clears throat> next to mine up in Northern Bay County. Yes. And uh, which came available, and I kind of hunted Steve, da Steve down uh -huh. uh, because I've tried to get people to buy property around me that I know that are yeah. are good hunters and I know he is and hard work so and then we got to know each other better from hunting and then share ideas and thought also I have a lease down in Iowa and Missouri nice uh, I've had it 17 years now with the same wow. farmer he owns land in both states they're relatively close does he know you let Steve come there and hunt mm -hmm. I mean and he still lets you lease oh, it yeah. from here <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a good thing. We got to be great friends. Uh, yeah. Uh, what we do up here is uh, we do similar things down there. I've had my property now up here for about 25 years. Oh, my. And, you know, over time, <clears throat> money and time allowed. Uh, yep. When I was working, uh, didn't have as much time, but now that I've been retired 10 years, I've put a lot more effort into the property. Yes. Uh, more food plots, doing more hinge cutting. Yeah. Making more scrapes, mock scrapes, and yeah. things like that. And that all pays off. We're looking at, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I mean, when what Steve was talking about on the deer sense, the licking branches, and you're talking about the hinge cuts, and a lot of other things. That's like going to a restaurant and seeing the menu, and a lot of people would overlook some of these things that are really important. Right. How do you, I mean, when you look at a piece of property and dial yourself back a number of years, and you think to yourself, it's a great piece of property, but I need to improve the habitat here. I need to hold some more deer here. Right. I need to have it be a, a place that's developed into a, a hunting spot that has my expectations. Right. Of course, the more acreage you have, the better job you can do in, in yes. setting it up. And then also, if you have neighbors around you that will work with you in, yes. in quality deer management, and we pretty much have that in our area, we, we hunt harvest only eight points or larger, mm -hmm. and then we all, we sort of like to harvest two does for every buck we kill. Wow. The ratio to keep that somewhat in check. I like that. I really I mean, like that. What I've done over the years, and I've learned a lot from going to, uh, these deer spectacular shows down in Lansing yes, and stuff sir. like that. I'm fortunate enough that my property's big enough where I have about 65 acres right in the center that I sort of leave as a reserve and no hunting. I, I don't, I don't, I never go in there. I don't even go in there and look for sheds. Wow. Uh, I'll go in there maybe every two, three years and hinge cut it or something like that, but I stay right out of there. And it's, there's a lot of deer yeah. staying there because so, they don't get pressured. So you guys, again, Dallas back a number of years, because I, I know what hinge cutting is all about and how important it is and what it does to a piece of property. But I think we have a lot of listeners that they've heard that term and they think that I'm just going to whack a top off of a tree. And if I do three or four of them, I'm a hinge cut and, you know, I built it, they'll come. We know that's not true. Kind of walk us through, even if it's a thumbnail sketch of you're into a new piece of property, just bought a we'll say a 40 or an 80, and what are some things you're looking for? What are some things that you're going to likely do to improve the habitat, thus bring the deer herd to the expectations you want it to? Well, first of all, I'd look at the timber on the property. If it, if it has a lot of uh, big timber, the first thing you want to do is get a hold of a forester and, and timber all that big stuff off. 
Leave the pines, leave the oaks yeah. for the food aspect. And then you want to work on an area where, a quiet area, where you don't pressure the deer. So you don't, every time you go on your property, you don't run everything off to the neighbors. Yes. Uh, very important. And then obviously, any of your stands, you try to set them up and hunt them for wind. Yep. And you mentioned earlier that quality of deer management. I know that's drew some ire to some people. It's drew some criticism, criticism from some people. But I guess... A lot of people will say that's a voluntary thing. Right. You know, and right. you guys have had some, I think, some very good success on this voluntary basis, but you hinted at how that took place between your neighbors and, you know, the relationships you built. Right. And and the, one of my neighbors right next door to his son doesn't hunt, but he has a grandson he wants to hunt. And they shot a, a small buck last year, and I don't have a problem if that's the first deer he killed. Yeah. We just like, as time goes on, yep. to try to let the bucks mature and, and, and yes, make sir. it more of a quality hunt. And it's all not just about killing. I very seldom shoot a buck on my property anymore. I've got four or five guys that hunt with me all the time that haven't killed near the deer I've killed, as lucky as I have been. So I shoot a couple does for me, and usually I let them... Uh, you know, shoot the bucks. I just enjoy seeing them. Yeah. Or if I see one and it's getting close to the rut, you know, work them with the horns or, or the calls or whatever and, and just fun. play with them and learn from them. Yeah, that's fun. I mean, that's... But uh, back to one of the things about setting a piece of property, a buck's like brush. The thicker, the brusher you can make your prop and stay out of that particular part of it, that's the whole key. You got a piece of property that you can see the 40 acres, you yeah. can see right through it. Yeah. You might as well stay home. It might look pretty. Right. But, you know, that's when you call a friend like Steve and say, uh, hey, bring your kids over. We need. We got some work to do. Bring your, bring your saw. That's yeah, bring your saw. And that's, you, you mentioned it, and we've done it here the last three years between both chunks of land. We'll get together and bang some ideas off each other, and probably the last week of January, we'll be on the end of a saw for a solid day. You might you might hinge cut two or three acres. Wow! And and what that allows is these these deer, and it gets to be a tough part of the part of the year for deer, unless you unless you've got a three acre food plot that's had purple top turnips. Yeah. Well, you're basically creating the environment that deer prefer to be in, right. and if you don't create it for them, they're going to go and find it somewhere else right. or try to. Or, other, you know. And the other thing Steve just touched on, we get down to, say, mid-January, you know, food's starting to get scarce. They're eating the brows down. So we hinge cut some of these trees. <clears throat> I'll, I'll drop even some bigger maples and let them eat all the tops off. Perfect. And, Natural and that's brows. that's what they do. They come, yeah, they came in, they come in there and all these trees that we hinge cut. They'll come in there, man. At night, as soon as it gets dark, the first time you cut them down, they're in there and they hear those chainsaws. And yeah. They come in there, all those buds on them. All packed full yeah, of nutrients. Like candy. To them. Yeah. yeah. And what you guys are saying now is I guess I'm p trying to pick up on this is when you're hinge cutting, sometimes the best time to hinge cut is after the season is done for, but yeah. they're but they're still hungry. The bucks are, you know, you got to they got to pack some nutrients and pack some fat back on yeah. their reserves. Yep. And then you're out there doing two things. You're hinge cutting, providing them with providing a source food. of uh, food. Yeah. Well, that's perfect. They'll be on that. They'll be on that food tonight. Wow. They hear the chainsaws running. You come back tomorrow. You see all the, Tracks. All the hoof yeah. prints in the snow. They're They'll very... be on it that night. Wow. Well, um, if you had to, you know, pick the top three things, if, if you had a, at work or at deer camp and a friend of yours stops by, and he hunts a little bit, but he says, you know, doggone it. When I was over there having a beer with you guys in your basement, Dale, and you guys were talking about this and that, and I see what you guys shoot. How do I get to that point, or how do I get to a point where I'm shooting, you know, mature deer, that three-and-a-half or likely maybe a four- or five-year-old deer? How do I get to that point where I can consistently, maybe not every year, but instead of harvesting a, you know, year-and-a-half-old deer, how do we get to the point where, you know, I'm seeing sign of mature deer and i'm either seeing the deer or harvesting the deer all the above first of all you let the young ones walk steve's property and mine being only you know half mile apart we'll see maybe three four different eight points that are only a year and a half old they've got a pretty nice start already yeah well that would qualify some of the 
fellows we let hunt with us to harvest that animal, but we tell them, you know, if it's just a small little salad bowl shaped rack, yeah. come on, let it walk. Yeah. You know, yeah another year or two. Grow another year or two years. Yeah. You know? And then what happens if you get those two and a half year deer going, a few of them slip through and then you'll get a three or a four yeah. and then you, you, you've got a, a moaner. Yeah, absolutely. I remember reading an article, I can't even remember who it was that wrote it, but he talked about just what you guys are practicing, what you guys are talking about. And he said, what cued me in is when you said some of those slip through and don't get shot. And a lot of times those are your higher intelligence deer and those are your breeding bucks. And what better breeders is to, you know, let those ones that seem to have, you know, the knack to stay alive and, right. you know, pass that gene pool on down. Right. And, uh, I mean, if we were to kind of think off the wall a little bit, I mean, there might be some additional bonus to that. Yeah, absolutely. Once once you can get in your mind that a successful hunt doesn't mean you have to kill an animal. Yeah. If you go out and just can view the wild, doesn't matter if you see three deer or ten deer or two bucks or you might have saw a decent eight point. The way I hunt my land in Northern Bay County is I, I'm way happier if one of my three boys yeah. were to shoot that eight point or a nine or a ten point. You bet. Went four or five years now without shooting a buck at my yeah. best. I want the kids to be successful. Yeah. They're seeing the benefits of the habitat improvements now. Wow. That's a. That's when you know it's... You, you see it's clicking for I, them. Right. And I that's, when a, it, that's when you get a sense of uh, accomplishment. Right. You know, I sent, good, a, good warm sent a group text out just today to all three boys. We're, we're planting buckwheat. We got a tree stand to hang. We got some rhizomes to plant Saturday morning. Yeah. Who's available? All yeah. three responded. They want to be. They want to be there. And that that means something to me. Yeah, they, absolutely. Yeah, they're they're willing to put the, yeah. the blood, sweat, and tears in in the off season because they're going to reap the benefits come deer yeah. season. You think back to I think a lot of hunters need possibly do this scenario is think back on their successful experience in the woods, and and then recount that those successful experiences and admit to themselves that maybe more of them involved not filling a tag. It was something that took place out in the woods, whatever it was. Had a goofy experience, but if you weren't there, you wouldn't have experienced it. Tagging out opening day and then you're done. Sometimes people don't tag out because they don't want to be done. To let the little ones, I should say the immature deer walk, boy, just sitting there and admiring that is one thing, but learning from that. You mentioned the learning. Both of you did. You can't grasp that if you're not opening your eyes and letting nature unveil itself in front of you over a course of time. Instead of brown and down syndrome, you know, maybe maybe there's more to it. And maybe, too, is, Steve, your your family, I think, is an exception. I really do. Because when you, you made that group text and the boys all jumped on it, a lot of youngsters are not hunting. Oh, no. And we know that. Although I wonder if there's a resurgence, maybe because this vir- virus thing that happened, a lot of people wanted to get out, and they said, well, if I apply for a turkey permit, it'll let me go out in the woods, you know, and I can beat the governor at her game. But, uh, um, but you know, maybe that's what they need. Instead of sitting there and having one thing in mind, I got to tag an animal or I suck. And that's not true. I mean, yeah, Dale, we're looking at your mounts in here. But this didn't happen in just a few short years. And two is, you're, you've, your mounts are mature animals. That's obvious. So that, I mean, that takes a lot of work. But you didn't get bored with it or you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have these out there and still pursuing, you know, the wildlife, we'll call it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And we need some more of that. We need a lot more of it is to, for people to... Uh, to encourage, even if it's their neighbor kid, because maybe she's a single parent and she doesn't have time to take her son out and he's 14. Maybe it's time that we reached out and said, would you mind if I took your son out in the woods and mm-hmm. we're going to do some work. And then he sees, you know, this is fun. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, another thing, too, that I you, you realize <clears throat> after you start getting old that I'm getting getting up there <laughs> getting old is Steve's doing the same thing. You, you put a lot of work and a lot of sweat in the property as you keep building it. Yes. Better and better uh, habitat for the animals. You'll sit back up there um, opening day or yeah. early October when the leaves are changing. Oh, man. And you look at the... Um, a food plot you have a ways away and you look at some hinge cutting areas where it's real brushy now and you see deer moving around it's 
it's really a good feeling that I'm just blessed to have this joy looking at it. I don't really have to shoot it no, today. No. Um, this whole thing about tag soup, I mean, it's uh, it's fun to kind of remark about that because we can all have a giggle right. about it. But to be ashamed or to say, you know, I'm not eating tag soup, I'm going to shoot right. something. Right. You know, I get the guy, I get the gal that uh, understands that, you know, they, they want to put some venison in their freezer. They're simply a meat hunter. I've got no problem with that. Yeah. I really don't. And I know every, Steve says he has a shot a buck for how many? Oh, four or five years up on our land. Yeah. I shot one uh, four years ago, the last three. Uh, I did not fill my buck tag. Yeah. I shot two does. Yeah. Uh, and if Every this was year for meat, and I enjoy that we we love the venison, and I butcher my own meat. Yeah, you know, and if this was boring, I mean, you'd have given it up a long oh, time ago. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, I think if we kept filling tags that easy with mature bucks, we probably would give it up, or it'd be less of a pursuit you know it's it's no different than golf if you yeah. part every hole it's what's know, the point yeah. do something else yeah absolutely you know i think some listeners they're all going to be hunters i'll almost assure you of that but not everybody's well everybody is at a different level we know that right a lot of times we find guys and gals that are at a certain level they like to advance their their game a bit and uh uh, they need little gold nuggets. They need little things to pick up. And they've realized maybe, not a pick on the TV shows, maybe on the Outdoor Channel, those people that shoot those 150 170 bucks in, in an open field walking down a farm lane just isn't the way it works. It's a lot different than that. Our instant gratification isn't in filling the tag. It's, it's getting out and being outdoors and to get the gratification of doing what you guys did to your food or to your uh, to your deer hunting spots, your private property, that's gratifying to me. That would be the thrill to see where it was and where it's at today and what you've done for the habitat. Aside from the hinge cutting, a lot of this can be adapted to, to state land. Yeah. Hunting these, these mock scrapes, licking branches, pinch point, brush corridors. Um, you don't you don't have to have private land to be successful. Well, it's a good point you brought this up because it's so true. But you got to be smart. You got to have good equipment, be confident in your equipment. You got to have your scent control. You got to be on your game. You got to be sharp mentally every second you're in a tree or in a blind. Yeah. You know, you can't be fumbling around playing yeah. video games on your phone. Right. And a week before the season opens up, that's not the time to start planning how you're going to approach to, no. the hunt. Now's the time. If, you, if you're an avid bow hunter, I'd be surprised if you're not shooting your bow already. You bet. You know, when you get into hunting season, when you draw back on a buck, that shot has got to be second nature. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Plenty of mistakes we're going to make um, because, you know, you're dealing with nature and animals that have brains that can yep. think. And that's one thing I learned from Dale here. Uh, you can have everything go to go to plan or have your plan. I can I can see a buck coming down this runway yeah. and I got this hole. Yeah. Whatever you think is going to happen, ninety percent of the time it doesn't happen. Yeah. That buck will take a turn. Yeah. Or he'll wing one, you know, one eighty and go back the other way. Yeah. And one thing Dale has taught me over the years is if the first time you when you decide you're going to kill an animal, the first time you get a chance to kill it, you take your shot and kill it. Yeah, absolutely. Don't don't wait for it to get to the perfect spot. If you get right. a chance, you yeah. take the animal. It might not be the door that opened. It might be a window. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. You guys are at different points in your lives. I mean, that's obvious, too. I mean, we're all really at different points, which brings different hunters at different points. There's a person that doesn't bow hunt. He just gun hunts or she just gun hunts. There's people that will utilize every season, whether it be the early bow season, the rut, the post, you know, in December, the rifle season, the muzzleloading season. But even the person that, I want to, want to say the weekend warrior, but the person that just doesn't have the time. Maybe they're youngsters and they, you know, they're raising kids that are quite small and it's hard to get the extra vacation time. Points of advice, guys, on for guys like that, because those are the people that I think they want to come out, they want to be, participate. They want to up their game, but how do they do it? I'm in a situation now, Steve is too, where now we have our own property. We've had it for a number of years, but prior to that, when I was younger, and I was always a hunter. My dad was a hunter. I started hunting, you know, rabbits and that when I was seven, eight years old. And if I was a younger hunter now and I didn't have my own private property, 
hunt on and I had to hunt state land and wanted to get into it, I would get some plot books out, look at some state game areas, yes. try to find how ones that are really pounded, maybe some that aren't so bad, find some areas that you have to work a little bit to get into. Yeah. And get in there late summer, pick a couple of trees out, put them on your GPS, mark them, whatever, where you can carry your stand in, put your stand up, go in there, do your trimming now, get your trimming all done. So in the fall, you go in there, that's all done. Get in there <clears throat> early fall, make a few mock scrapes around yep. each one of those blinds, slip in there, set up. That's probably be your best chance without hauling in food, yeah. in which now you can't bait. Correct. Those yeah, are those scrape set up and stuff, and 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 find pinch points. You have to get off the beaten path a little. You may have yeah. to walk a mile. You may have to walk two miles. You may have to jump in a canoe and yeah. take it up a little creek a ways and get off and peel yeah. off, which no one will do because they got to cross a bog or something. Yeah, that's the stuff you have to do if you want to try to get a better buck. Yeah, and on state land, even even see a buck. Sometimes. Yeah, because <laughs> there's so yeah. many people hunting close to the road. I mean, they walk in there and they're sent, and they're just yeah. blowing everything out. But you know, you look at your mounts on the wall, and they all have a story. And that story, probably both of you have a story behind every every mount, Absolutely. and it and it kind of resembles what you just said. You know, and there's that lucky one that you know happens without a lot of effort. I mean, that happens in all. I mean. Get a hole in one, and you're probably the worst golfer out there, but it happened. But you look at what's up there on your wall, and you think, well, yeah, I remember that one. I remember that one. And, I remember, and, and probably nine out of ten of them were maybe that canoe story where you went where the, the other people would never go. Right. Or you walked the two miles. But when in life is anything worth doing if it's that easy anyways? Yeah. And so I think you're actually... A lot of our youngsters, when I say youngsters, you know, I'm not talking about somebody that's necessarily a 20-something, but even 30-something or so. If they did what you guys just explained, I think they're they're putting more skin in the game and they're going to enjoy their hunt all hundredfold because it's not just walking out, sitting against a tree or sitting in a heated blind, throwing out, you know, three bags of bait and they'll come. And I got to admit, that's probably not my most proudest hunt in the world and it's not the most fun it's enjoyable to see deer that's seeing deer that's not hunting deer right the the baiting thing uh I've seen over the years uh, with the baiting is uh obviously the deer are very spooky when they come in they're on alert yeah you know they're not relaxed and then it's when you're hunting in more of a natural setting without bait where you're hunting scrapes runs etc. The deer are so much more in a natural state and they are easier in a sense sometimes to really hunt them than, than when they come in uh, yeah. you know, to the bait. Most of the time your bigger bucks will hang back. They won't come in until it's dark yeah. as a rule anyways. Yeah, I look at, we've had in our in our camps that we've got, most of them in the Upper Peninsula, that we kind of intimately get involved in where we're taking them out to their spots. We're getting a lot more ladies. We're even getting ladies that two or three ladies that will book. Their boyfriend or their husbands are not with them. I look forward to that, and it's not what a lot of guys might think. I'm looking forward to it because you tell them to do certain things, they do it to a T. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you get a guy or three or four guys, and you tell them, you know, they'll ask you a box full of questions, and you'll kind of share some things, and pretty soon you, you find out, well, he, he, you know, he walked up to that scrape and kind of looked it over and kicked the soil. Which and you told them stay away from it. There's going to be three scrapes. There's going to be a licking branch. But that person just couldn't. He couldn't stay in his tree stand. The ladies, nine out of ten of them, they'll stay in their tree stands, and they'll do exactly. So if I were to reach out to some of these young guys and gals, you know that story just resonates to say, hey, you know, up your game. But there's people that like we're doing here. There's people that have worked very hard. Listen to those gold nuggets, as we say, that come from them. Try it. It makes mistakes. That's how we learn. You know, I don't know. I think the, the guys sometimes are a little hard to uh, straighten out, we'll say. You know, it's just uh, it's real difficult sometimes. But the ladies, they'll, boy, they're on they're on point. Right. Uh, another uh, point that about learning, and this is back, gets back to the quality management. When you start letting some smaller bucks walk by you, and even, say, a two-and-a-half-year-old eight-point, and you don't harvest that deer. And you let it walk by, and he'll hang around a while. You'll learn a lot from watching that deer. Oh, boy. That's where I've gained a lot of knowledge over the year. I study that deer. I just watch their head all the time and their eyes. Yeah. 
and you really learn a lot. Yeah. And I've I've really picked a lot from hunting <clears throat> down in Iowa and Missouri because we have a little bigger class of deer down there. There's more age down there. Absolutely. Because, uh, there's less hunters. Most of the residents down there prefer the bigger bucks, yeah. so they let a lot of small stuff go. So you do see some bigger bucks, and you really learn from them, too. Yeah. Uh, oh, good point. Yeah. yeah. Those out-of-state hunters in that area of the country, they have a different mindset going on. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, boy, it's a different hunting situation down there when you come from, uh, say, northern Michigan. Right. And you head, head in that direction. It's it's an eye-opener. We have more deer here, yeah, I think. I think so, too. Uh, but, you know, obviously the, the age is not there. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. there's more hunters. They're, they're harvested quicker. And yeah. It's a little slower pace down there. Yeah. Less harvested, more age. Yep, absolutely. We we had a couple of groups that come up to the Upper Peninsula every year. Our numbers kind of fluctuate, as you guys know, with the weather being the biggest predator. It depends. We have a couple of rotten winters, sort of ones that seem to hang on maybe the following year or two. It's going to be a little skimpy. But actually, our guys, our hunters that come up there, they kind of know the get up, giddy up, we'll say, and they know the setup. They're harvesting these mature animals that, you know, where'd they come from? Well, they're there. They're hardy animals. They're the ones that are surviving. You know, like you said, Dale, Steve, same thing is let the, you know, you see that spike horn, you see that six point, even see that small basket eight. Be surprised what shows up later on or even tomorrow if he gets let go. And like you said, that's a, a seminar all by itself just by watching that, that buck. Absolutely. Walk by you and, and his, you know, what what he's teaching you. And he doesn't even know it, you know. What's on the front lines of uh, you guys? What are you guys planning next? I mean, you're, you, Steve, you mentioned you, you're wrangling up the, uh, well, the yeah, youngsters well, and heading we, up. We're trying a new no-till method and food plots this year. Uh, it's it's kind of been introduced, and in, I got a three-book series here by Jeff Sturgis. And Where's that book at? You got it over there, right? Um, well, it's it's... Here's the three book series. Oh, nice. Um, I know the, the folks can't and, see it. And but this uh, guy, he, he's on YouTube. You search in YouTube Jeff Sturgis, and he'll have all kinds of little videos. But he's got a no-till food plot method that you plant buckwheat now. Yep. You kill it off in eight weeks. You're going to run your seed, plant your seed, kill the buckwheat, and then take a cultipacker, roll it down, and that becomes your weed barrier. Yeah. Um, keeps your soil moist. It actually builds the soil over time, but that's that's usually my my planning. I get into these books, and I'm yeah. not afraid to try anything. Well, you got three of his books, and um, you know it talks about habitat. He's big into that, like you just say, oh, said. Said yeah. my wife doesn't hunt, and she's not against it at all. But you know, we're up at the cabin, we're doing a food plot, and she's all about it. And you know, I had a buddy of mine. He doesn't hunt, and he come over, and he says, "What do you got going out there?" And sometimes the the least hunter. Uh, and maybe it's our spouse. I think we overlook the fact that, you know, this can be a family event. Oh, yeah. It really can, you know, uh, some habitat improvement. And two is, it's amazing when they get involved, we don't get mean mouths so bad during hunting season, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. There's, I, we all probably heard of uh, John Eberhardt, and he's got his methods. But there's one thing that really resonated to me with a story he had, and he shared it. He says, you know, back in the day, I was putting in an awful lot of time. And he said, I worked my butt off. Huh? And he says, you know, I just thought that the more time out in the woods, you know, you got to do your time in the stand. He said, and that's, there's some truth to it. But you guys are saying the same thing. I mean, the success doesn't necessarily come with the fact that you're going to sit in that spot day in and day out. I mean, there's all this prep work. So he said, I subconsciously one day I'm driving on the road and I subconsciously realized I'm getting in an argument with my wife not enough to piss her off to have her kick me out of the house but enough to so we have a fractured relationship for about three months and he says then it's like well I get to hunt and she just knows it and we just kind of we eat dinner together less and because I'm hunting and she's pissed and then you know, about January, we're reconciling because I'm working my butt off making sure. And she kind of knows it. He said, it hit. why am I going out in the woods all, you know, like crazy? He says, you know, her and I will go for a walk and I'm doing a little scouting, you know, in May, June, July. And then I'm very limited on my hunt days. But he says, I spent a lot of time out in the woods. 
And that's what you guys are just resonating here. It's all about the prep work, the oh, scouting. Yep, it's, yeah. it's 90% prep work and the hunt. And if you're fortunate enough to kill an animal, that's yeah. that's the frosting on the cake. Yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. It's And there's little things you learn over the years. Recently at my place, uh, what I've started doing is food plots I have, uh, most of them I'd put in oats or turnips, mm-hmm. uh, radishes, things like that. But then in the spring, there's nothing there yeah. for the deer. And before the leaves start popping on the, on the brows and stuff like that, I mean, there's not a lot right. for them to eat. Yeah. So I started putting in winter wheat. Oh, nice! In the fall, in some of my food plots, and one I've got the whole thing just winter wheat. And now this spring, boy, I mean the snow got off it. It's green. It's four or five inches high. Perfect. And I've had, you know, fifteen twenty deer in there. At yeah. Feeding. And this gets the drew deer through till. Yeah. Till your brow starts popping, yeah. And once everything, once spring green right. up hits, so then just little yeah. things like that that uh, yeah. you, know, you learn over time and doing it. And those deer, those bucks, they need that nourishment early because they're starting to pop those horns. And, yes, uh, that's the thing. They need of it. that protein. So. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing of it is uh, these food plots. Yeah, there's the bait piles that used to be. It's not that that they were you know totally bad, but uh, or ever were. But I think the food plots. Um, it gives us a sense of confidence that we are doing the right thing in a lot of ways, proving that habitat. We we just talked about how many years a lot of hunters don't harvest a, a buck, but yet spend an awful lot of time making sure that their deer remain healthy and stay right. healthy. I guess, you know, us being at the top of the food chain, it's our job to do that. If we're going to continue and hope to continue to have a... Uh, an expectation of a wonderful hunting spot right. we owe it to the animal too well and before uh, with the, just the baiting situation i don't necessarily want to knock that but late winter early spring nobody's baiting because right. they're not hunting there's right. nothing there well just for example the winter wheat yeah there's something green there the the does feed on it the bucks feed on it, it all helps them yeah fawns may come out healthier because the does in better shape yep uh, absolutely things of that nature so steve you're saying that I'm back to this Jeff Sturgis thing because I think some people that cued into this are probably interested in maybe reading his books. I think that's the best way. But you're saying he's on YouTube as well. He's got a YouTube, and this is brand new this year, and I just happened to discover it searching okay. for one of his food plot methods. Okay. Um, he's got a, a YouTube, and these videos maybe five minutes, maybe 15 minutes. Wow. Um, it's worth tuning into. It's, it's hands-on. It's examples. Yeah. It's explanations. Super down-to-earth guy. He's actually was a hunter in his younger days right out here by Carroll, Michigan. Did his learning in the UP, and now I think he resides in Wisconsin. Okay. These three books, I uh, the pages are falling out of them. That's how many times I've read right these up. books. And I'm, yeah. not, I'm not a reader by any means. Talked about the beginning hunter. There's all kinds of information out there on YouTube. There's yeah. books. Uh, this Jeff Sturgis. There's... Steve Bartilla. Oh, man. Yeah, um, there's one that rings a bell, too. Tony LaPratt's boot camp here in southern Michigan. Absolutely, uh, I've yeah. been down there twice. I went in the winter, and then I went in the summer. You want to talk about an incredible... That's probably where I got the fever for... Yes. That's probably what turned my switch on. Yeah. Hey, I can actually yeah. start to manipulate how we can change what the deer do rolling through our land or rolling through... Stateland. Absolutely. You can you can do this on both. This has been a, a great podcast because it's a great conversation. So we don't have a script, and that's, you know, that's where we roll from on these because it's what people really gravitate towards. They want to know that this isn't somebody trying to, you know, sell us some food plot seed or sell a video. And, and hey, everybody's got to make a living somehow, but this is, you know, this real stuff where people can pick these things up. And a lot of people think that they've got to take everything that we talked about and implement it in, in year one. And we know that that takes time. And it's actually kind of fun to do it in phases because you get to see the success of you know, a few different things that you've done. Want to see results, and that's a great way to see that successful result. And then it gives you incentive to go to the next phase, as we may call it, mm-hmm. and make that food plot or that habitat a little bit better. And then maybe, like you say, read some of this or go to a 
Tony LaPratt seminar, and there's a few guys that are doing that. You know, knowledge is power. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And yeah. not everything he teaches you is going to work on your yeah. land. You mentioned it before, Gary. Is you may you may try some stuff and it doesn't work. What, it, right, it was the worst thing you could have done. Yeah, uh, you learn by your mistakes. That's right. Yeah, I don't want to be told just to sit someplace and stare at a bait pile. Man, I'm so over that. Years ago, and I like to see people embrace the fact that we have a law in place that has eliminated the use of bait. And uh, I say embrace it. We don't have to agree with it or agree with it, or disagree or di- agree. We have to realize that this is this is what it is. But, uh, um, you know, actually this might cause us to take action. Yeah, maybe, I don't know, fall in love with this goofy sport of deer hunting again because we're losing some hunters. We're losing, what is it they're saying, like 2% a year. We went from about 800,000 hunters now down to half a million hunters based off the tags that are purchased. I think it's lower than that because... You know, we can purchase multiple tags now in different categories. and But, uh, man, I'd hate to see too many more go because it wouldn't be a whole lot to, uh, you know, wishing we had stood up and fought a little harder for what's right. been such a neat thing for us in our lives. Well, Steve and I, of course, we, we we're into the quality thing, so yeah. we would really like to see the DNR in the state of Michigan go to one buck. You bet. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Seems to work awful well in a lot of other states, mm-hmm. doesn't it, though? Yeah. You mentioned too, Dale, about, you know, you encourage two does than a buck. I like stuff like that. That seems to work. But it, you know, it works because you guys have worked that property and you know your deer herd quite well. And you don't have to have a degree in biology, but you got to spend some time out in the woods. That's where you learn in the field, not out of a book. That's right. right, Absolutely. The hands-on is, is, is. Yeah. Right. Not that you can't pick up things from reading, but the, but the hands-on is yeah. really, and actually seeing the animals out there. And like you said, for these young hunters, they may make a mock scrape or a couple mock drapes and hunt that stand a few times and nothing comes into it. Well, don't give up. They will yeah. get it sooner or later. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Or yeah. maybe you're making it in the wrong place. Maybe you move and make it yeah. over here or over there, but. Yeah. They were. We were at the tail end of bear season last year. And my buddy, Ross, uh, he lives in Bangor Township. And uh, he's very instrumental in helping me with baiting bear and guiding. And he's just, he's a good friend too. But uh, so we're done with bear season. Ross says to me, hey, we got some work to do. And I said, yeah, I'll take care of it. I got a couple days. I'm staying up here. No, I'm going to help you. What do you got to do? And I said, well, Ross, you aren't going to like to hear what I got to say. But we're collecting a few ground blinds and tree stands. But I'm also taking my cameras and switching out batteries and swiping my SD cards clean, and I'm recycling them. I'm starting to put them on some deer hunt spots. Well, what do you mean? I said, well, he said, well, so we're walking probably what I thought to be about six or eight miles. Now we're walking 10 because you're walking in different spots for deer season. I said, yeah, absolutely. We went into like two spots, and I could tell that was the end of it. He, He mentally was done. I walked into this one spot that we normally bait. And it's been actually fairly successful. About every third year, a guy shoots a decent buck there. And I knew there was another, or a scrape about 175 yards away. I say about. It's, it's, it's 175 yards away. And it's a mammoth scrape. And it's one of those rut area scrapes, primary rut spots. And I always knew it was there, but it's, it's, it's a little pinch point where this food, you know, the, the, the corn goes and in the UP there. And, and uh, so I put a little bit of the, I put a, 20 pound or one of small buckets of that bucklicious out and i put a uh, trail camera there and, and of course this is like october 1st or whatever it was because the third bear hunt was done and i put one at that scrape and i let it go and i actually forgot about it and of course a little time goes by and i'm buzzing up there <clears throat> to tend to the deer hunt spots and i thought huh i got two cameras out in the woods that i really am interested in both of them had nice bucks but the one had a really nice 10 point and two respectable eight points that never went over to the bait, not once. But they visited that scrape several times. And usually you'd see one, then like 30 minutes later you'd see another one, and 30 minutes later you'd see another one. They'd never come over to that bait. And I told my buddy Ross that, and he just looked at me and says, Gal, maybe we're, you know, putting too much homage to, you know, throw the bait out and they'll come i said in the up you would think that 
you can put some food out, they're going to come running in, but that's not true. Not these big bucks. And like you said, the bucks like that brush. They're not going to show themselves out in an opening. They know they know that food's there all night. Oh, yeah. yeah. So they're going to walk out there yeah. and uh, say, shoot me. Right. It just isn't going to happen. No. Yeah. We've, we've talked about food plots versus bait. Um, yeah, I just, I probably have six acres total food plots and out of 15 or 16 hunting stands there's three or four on food plots and the rest are in travel corridors yeah brushy right. thickets yep you know I've, I've kind of set my property up dale helped me pick out trees for stands but if the wind's blowing from the west southwest you're going to come out on the east boundary of yep. the property and you're going to slide into stands the deer in the core of your land are never going to know they're being hunted. You would be amazed at the predictability you get of, especially the does, because they'll, they'll bed right up the food. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They don't care if they're bumped here and there, but no. anything mature, buck-wise, yeah. you bump that thing once or twice, and it's not going to be there. It might no. be there, but it's going to be you'll coming never... in there after dark. Yeah. And, and you, you can't say that you'll never kill a mature buck on a bait pile, because uh, if you're close to the rut for example a hot yeah. bill comes in there yeah he's just gonna run in there with his head down and he he don't care who's it yeah that that happens but not very often that's right, right. absolutely it's the exception rather than norm yeah absolutely. And we've, we've talked private land we also on state land you, you don't have to have a food plot right if you do your homework and and you get out in the woods you you put your feet on the ground and you find some some natural browse yeah, honeysuckle oaks, uh, yeah. oaks acorns yeah. Anything like yeah. that where you know and you can you can tell deer are around, you can set up off of these little natural bait piles, whatever you want to call yep. it, be a successful hunter. Yeah. Well, there's also, some, if you do your homework too, there's, <clears throat> there is state land that's close to private land that's farmed. Yes. And there's crops there. Yeah. So you can get in there somewhere quarter half mile from those crops and some state land in a, in an area that's back a ways and maybe not run as hard yeah you have a good chance for success there because those deer that when it gets dark they're headed for those fields absolutely yeah so look for runs feeding to those fields and yeah. pinch points and yeah i think we have a young generation that kind of skipped the love of hunting not everybody but we have some that skipped it and i really honestly think dale steve if they were to go out there and do those things that you guys just talked about in this podcast and implement those tactics, learn, try to outsmart that mature buck, they're going to fall in love with this. I just can't see how they're not going to. And find out that, no offense to their dad or their grandpa, hunting over that bait pile is boring, and, or it could be. And maybe they said, that's not for me. I'm done. I'm done hunting. Because you, you see that they're kind of an instant gratification society. I don't know if they are or they aren't. But they certainly get bored sitting over a bait pile right. being told, don't shoot the small ones. Well, at the end of the season, at the end of next season, at the end of the third season, they still haven't shot anything because nothing matures come in there. Well, that's probably the last time they bought a tag, yeah. if they ever did. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this stuff can be a lot of fun. Well, hey, I'm looking at the time. We've chit-chat a little bit, to say the least, but we could chit-chat until the wee hours of the morning, I guess, if Dale's going to. You know, keep bringing the beers. <laughs> yeah. And then we have to walk home, Steve. So, yeah. Camp out in the back of your truck. I'll call Kelly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, hey, thanks, guys, for uh, inviting me in your home, Dale. And, Steve, you put this together, and we appreciate it. And sharing some information about the books, the video, but just about what you guys do and why it's so much fun. And that's the thing of it. If it ain't fun, you know, why are we doing it? Well, we're still doing it after a long time, and we still plan on doing it. And, the old adage he told the boys they're gonna you know this is what we got going they're all in oh, you, know, you, you didn't have to uh, coax nobody I, it wasn't two minutes and yeah. i had three tacks and they were <laughs> they were all aboard yeah. You know, it's, well, yeah and yeah, this was enjoyable and, yeah. uh, i always like to share some of the information i've learned over the years and, absolutely uh, it's always fun talking about big white tails yeah, absolutely I mean, they're, they're yeah. a mystery animal oh man gosh when they, they pop are. up out of nowhere and you see that rack yeah and, yeah we appreciate you asking yeah well, uh, thanks, appreciate man. your time. Yeah, this is kick back and uh, and share some uh, things, and that's what people, you know, when we get some feedback from our podcasts, uh, we did a couple with some scripts, and uh, you because know, we had kind of had to, you know, coax some people a little bit shy, and there was some good information, but they weren't, uh, you know, we get people saying, oh, that's not what we want to listen to. We want to listen to, feeling like we're sitting at the 
at the counter with those guys having a coffee. But I'm driving up. A lot of times they, they save these podcasts for the trip up north, and they just kind of want to get into that mood. And it kind of, you know, just kind of gives them that jolt. Between that and probably a couple of stiff cups of uh, $3 coffee that these youngsters buy anymore. <laughs> well, thanks for uh, getting together. We pretty appreciate it. And I'll, uh, I'll shoot you guys a text when it's uploaded, and, and we can all make fun of each other. Okay, sounds, sounds good. good. Good, thanks, guys. This week's podcast brought to you by... Before you load it, before you cock it, before you fire it, please take a firearm safety course. Together, we can save more lives while still protecting your own. Take the Countering a Mass Shooting Threat course with Ghost Rider Defense. This comprehensive course for schools, house of worship, and families will teach you how to protect yourself during a mass shooting threat. Find class details online at ghostriderdefense.com. And also brought to you by... Hey out there, this is Barry Wenzel. I've been successfully hunting white-tailed deer for over 60 years now. Deer base their entire existence on messages received from their noses. And you can increase communications within the local social structure by using Smokey's deer lures. They just flat out work great for me. Give Smokey's a try and I think you'll agree. Best of luck and shoot straight. Hey, told you this podcast was going to be a dandy. And a lot of gold nuggets in that podcast. I grabbed a few, I know that. I always, really, I really do look forward to doing podcasts with uh, folks that offer these gold nuggets. And a lot of what we do is just that. It's information that people are sharing. And that's very, very gracious for those that do that. And, hey, with the whitetail season, yeah, a few short months away, we're going to say it that way, because it is. Um, then is not the time to prep. Now is the time to prep, as we know. Hey, without uh, further, we appreciate you dialing into our podcast situation. Like our Facebook page. Go to our Facebook page and give it a like. And, uh, and maybe subscribe to our podcast so you'll just get alerted when, it, when we upload one each time. If you haven't done that already, I think a lot of you have. Without further, have a great week. I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's episode. Please head on over and check out our Facebook page. Be sure to like and follow it to stay up to date on highlights from our clients' turkey, bear, and white-tailed deer hunts. Until next time, stay safe and happy hunting. <laughs>